Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. They succeed, they fail. They succeed, they fail. Such is the plight of the season-long NBA fantasy enthusiast. But yesterday, we succeed. Oh yes, yesterday we succeed. Almost all of the pickups, of the draft picks, whatever, yesterday was like this beautiful whirlwind of delight. It doesn't happen all that often. It really doesn't happen all that often, where almost every player that you have on your fantasy team is dunking at the same time. And it happened yesterday. It was this magical confluence, an 11-game card, too. So you had a lot of guys in your lineup. It would have been really easy for somebody not to succeed. Uh, but basically, everybody that we talk about on this show, uh, with perhaps the possible exception of, like, DeAnthony Melton, who I had benched anyway, so I, after all of his recent poor games, uh, just crushed it. It was awesome. The night finished, and I looked at my teams, and you guys know I have a bunch of fantasy teams, and I'm guessing a lot of you have multiple ones, too. I looked at my teams, and I was just like, how is this possible? Because even all the guys you'd put, like, in the 80 to 110 range, where you're, like, kind of crossing your fingers on a day-to-day basis and thinking, will I get a good game out of this dude? Will I get kind of a middling game? They had good games, too. And what about the recent hot pickups? Mark Williams, good game. Zach Collins, good game. Do I bring up the fact that Kelly Olynyk is romping again? Good game. Colin Sexton, good game. Even the maybe guy, Matisse Thybul, who we called a speculative ad to see what he was going to get to do in Portland. He dunked too. Everybody dunked yesterday. Slow-mo on a minutes restriction. Dunked anyway. That was wild. It was super. All of my head-to-head teams got off to great starts yesterday. I'm leading in in both of my cash head-to-head leagues after day one. All of my Roto teams moved up in the standings with the exception, I think, of one that just stayed static. That's crazy. I have six cash Roto leagues, two cash head-to-head leagues, and then we have the the industry league. Um, There's one more I'm forgetting, and I don't know what it is. That means I probably haven't checked it in a while. But the fact that five of six... Roto Leagues yesterday went up. So I'm hoping, the reason I use this as the preface to the show, is I'm hoping that means it was similar for all of you guys. Since we sort of work through the season together, we end up with a lot of the same pickups, a lot of the same draft picks, because you do listen to this podcast typically regularly to some degree. Uh, So hopefully you guys went to sleep last night also feeling happy. Because I feel happy. I feel happy right now. I'm just rumbling along. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's a sports ethos presentation. Hello to all of my recorded listeners. Hello to all of my live YouTube listeners that are throwing questions in the chat room as we speak. And of course, are liking and subscribing the video on YouTube. To those of you over on the recorded side, don't worry. This show will always be done recorded. Fear not. There will be days where it doesn't happen on YouTube, just due to scheduling and other weird conflicts through the off-season. I don't know if it's going to be on YouTube every day. That would be fun, though. I'm going to try to do it over there. But if you're listening on the recorded side, certainly now during the season, come hang out with us live for future shows. Sports Ethos 
uh, is the YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash sportsethos. I try to do this show at 9 a.m. every morning if I can. Uh, and then we've got the waiver wire show with Eric. We've got the weekly lineup show with Steve and Joe. We've got Brewski's breakdown on Wednesdays. Uh, our YouTube page is sweet. Joe's doing his baseball shows live this year more often, which is also amazing. Some of you watching live, you saw his question or his comment on cookies here on your screen. Uh, so just, you know what? I'm in a good-ass mood today. I can say that. Fantasy teams are dunking. It's uh, mid-50s and cloudy, which I actually enjoy. I know most people in Los Angeles like it a little bit warmer than that, but kind of opens my eyes, wakes me up a little bit. Let's do this thing. We got a big card to recap, so let's just dive right on into it. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I'm also trying something out right now where the show is being live streamed into Twitter spaces. I still don't fully understand how that works, but I know it's happening. So some of you right now are likely watching on Twitter. Hi. I don't think I can interact with you. At least not through StreamYard, which is the service we use to put these things out. So, uh, my kids are watching those, uh, those, those Toy Story shorts on Disney Plus when they're waking up in the morning. Forky asks a question, so now I got both my kids going. I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about using technology these days. Old man Bespris, I'll be forty in a, in like three months. Woof. I know. I'm not that old, but geez, you feel it. You feel it in your limbs. Doing a freaking show with a uh, heating pack on daily these days. Anyway, uh, Charlotte beat Atlanta 144-138. This was a regulation score of a basketball game, and uh, everybody had stuff. When you when you, your two teams combined for you know 280 points, there's probably going to be some fantasy lines. The, the dig-into points on these games, I believe, are Sadiq Bey, who started for Atlanta and played 21 minutes, but there was no John Collins. I don't think he's going to start when Collins is back. Bey will likely be the sort of wing gunner off the bench for the Hawks. Bogdan Bogdanovich will be more of the guard-flavored gunner off the bench for the Hawks. I, you know, it's a good pickup for them. But they might want to consider defending somebody. Charlotte shot 63% for the game. Gordon Hayward is someone that I've kind of bounced around on lately on the podcast. He was so awful in October, November, December, and January. And he just showed little hints at the end of January, beginning of this month, of starting to look a little bit better. I think you can add him in head-to-head. And play him daily right now. I think you can add him in Roto, but you'd be stashing him on your bench. So don't drop anybody of value. You know, if you're if you're looking at it from like a, a true rank standpoint, for Hayward, even while he's been better lately, he still hasn't been quite good enough. Dude's shooting 50% over the last two weeks and 96% at the free throw line, and he's still ranked outside the top 100 over that stretch because there just isn't that much other stuff he does but as he's slowly coming around here I think it's worth maybe getting in front of it or 
if you're in a league where someone's just been playing him the whole season, fine. Maybe they get a couple of weeks of Hayward being a little bit better, but that dude's been sinking their team up to this point, so don't feel bad about it. Also, Mark Williams, 15-5, two steals, two blocks, 30 minutes. I love everything about that. Low usage, just dunking near the rim. Made most of his free throws, which is a great sign. Steals in the blocks, we know he gets. No notes, no complaints. That was a beautiful thing. I do wonder, and uh, I don't know when Charlotte has their next back-to-back. Do they play again tonight? No, they don't. I think their next back-to-back is after the All-Star break. Yeah, they host the Spurs tomorrow, and then they're off until after the break. I I am still curious because uh, I don't get too deep in on this one because suddenly the show's going to end up going too long. Uh, You remember when Mason Plumlee was still in town, and... Once every like three or four games, Nick Richards backed him up instead of Mark Williams. And sometimes it had it seemed like it lined up with a back to back. It wasn't always that way, but it seemed like it. So I do wonder that if if Charlotte has a back to back, do they flip Williams and Richards for that one game? Even if they do, I don't really care, because Mark at this point would still have to play fifteen to twenty minutes in a backup role. And as a starter playing close to thirty, I mean Spurs and Cavs, nothing on the Cavaliers' side, which is nice. We can basically just gloss over them, although Jared Allen has been really good lately. It took him a while, I think, to develop that chemistry with Donovan Mitchell, would be my guess, Uh, but over the last month, he's been a second-rounder, and uh, that's kind of what we've been waiting for all season long. So he's starting to move his way up the board at long last. Nothing you're doing with with it because he's universally rostered, but still good to see. Uh, Over on the San Antonio side, though, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Let's just start at the bottom of the board with Jeremy Sohan, who had a bad ball game yesterday. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast as someone who doesn't have a defined fantasy game yet. He scores, he rebounds, he passes, but the steals and blocks seem to come and go. The threes come and go. The percentages pretty much just go, and the turnovers kind of come and go. So at least at this juncture of his career, and he could change a lot because he's still a super young dude, but right at this moment, Sohan profiles more as a points league type of target. Or if you wanted to extend that a little bit to someone that is better suited for head-to-head leagues where you have a particular build, if you're punting uh, you know, one of the percentages, perhaps, I think he's, he's worse at free throws than he is at field goal percent, I don't Admittedly, I don't have that number right in front of me, but I can pull it up while we're talking. Uh, yeah, 69% at the foul line, 45 from the field, so the 69 is worse, but neither one of them is good. Steals and blocks are kind of meh. There's nothing that you're that jumping off the page. It doesn't hit that many three-pointers. That's why. When people are like, Dan, why do you describe someone as a points league guy? It's not necessarily because they're just bad at the percentages. That's the first thing that you look at for someone being good at points league. It's basically, are they pretty good at just a couple of categories, but not like hyper elite. If you're hyper elite in a couple of categories, you can still have value even in a nine cat. But if you're only just kind of like sort of good in them, that sort of takes you out of the running for nine cat stuff. I think that's probably what he is the rest of this year is a guy who's fringy for nine cat makes more sense in weird head to head builds uh, and makes even more sense in points leaks. And frankly, that actually extends to his teammate Malachi Branham, who also struggles with percentages, 
also struggles in particular categories. Brandon probably a little better on the steals and threes side, but not as strong in rebounds. Assists, you'd think he might have a little bit of a leg up, but they have other guys that are doing the passing for that team these days. So, Branham, almost the exact same conclusion for me. He's going to score. he fit you your weird head-to-head build or your points league team, but 9-cat, eh. Keldon Johnson is a hold. Um, he's also been more, you know, points and weird head-to-head build so far on the year, but he's been better lately. He's actually been inside the top 100 after that brutal shooting slump he finally pulled out of, so he's fine. Zach Collins is also fine. He's soaking up most of the starters' minutes. Isaiah Roby did get hurt in this ballgame, so that meant Collins had to do a little bit more. Charles Bassey picked up 13 bench minutes. He's worth monitoring. We've seen Bassey actually post fantasy numbers in only 18 to 20 minutes per ballgame, and you might get there if, if Roby has to miss any time. But Collins is obviously the guy you're looking at. He is, he's played really well in two of his three games since Jakob Pertl got moved. Uh, I still don't think he caps out as high as a Mark Williams or even a Collins Sexton, but it is looking more and more like Collins is going to be in that, what did we say before the trade deadline? Probably more like a 90 range kind of dude. I don't think you can expect three steals every game. I don't know that you can expect... 57% shooting every game, but he has sort of a a nice variety to his fantasy game, and that's cool. And the last player I want to mention on the Spurs, because they've they've sort of rebuilt things here in the short term, is Devontae Graham, who has done a lot in two of the three games he's played with San Antonio. And those games have corresponded to the ones that Trey Jones has sat out. In the game that Trey Jones played... Graham still got 24 minutes and was still actually pretty involved. I think he had two steals and two blocks. And he's sort of, I mean, he's basically running point for that team when he's on the court. I am intrigued by Devontae Graham. We've seen that when he is more of a usage guy, which he wasn't on the Pelicans, and he very much was on Charlotte, he can pile up fantasy stats because he's just chucking away from three-point land. Like he could, he could legitimately average three three pointers the rest of the way. Uh, he gets steals, he gets assists. He again is very much a punt field goal guy. So uh, to me, if you're in a head to head league, you probably adding Devonte Graham. Uh, if you're punting field goal, you're definitely adding Devonte Graham. If you're not punting field goal, he probably doesn't make it inside the top 100. Uh, Roto, he's going to be very difficult to use, but if you add him, you could deploy him when someone's out. So, you know, if Branham's hurt, you could play him. If Trey Jones is hurt, you could play him. Honestly, even if Keldon Johnson's hurt, you could probably play him just because there'll be more shots available. That's the Roto play. Uh, and then points leagues, I I think he's a must roster guy because points, threes, assists, steals, that's a very fast way to rack up, uh, stats in a points format. Philly blew out Houston. P.J. Tucker left early with a calf injury. And new acquisition Jalen McDaniels was actually the big beneficiary there. Which, of course, you guys know where I'm going with this. This means DeAnthony Melton is probably a drop. I know he's starting. But if he's not playing well, he's not going to see a ton of minutes. And now that they have McDaniels, they have another option for a guy to step into a bigger role when a starter or other sort of like feature piece, a 30-minute guy, we should say, goes down. Previously, when any of the 30-minute guys got hurt for the Sixers, like seven of those minutes went to DeAnthony Melton. 
Yesterday we saw the P.J. Tucker minutes went to Jalen McDaniels. And so if Melton doesn't have that wide open path to just getting to do more, and now he specifically needs either James Harden or Tyrese Maxey to be hurt to have value, he becomes an injury stream instead. I'm going to give Melton two more games, personally. If you guys want to know what I'm doing personally with my team, uh, I'm going to hold Melton for two more ball games. But if you don't, I ain't mad at you. I think that in all likelihood, his run is probably over unless Maxi or Harden has to sit out a ball game or two. And I think we can blame it on Jalen McDaniels. Curse you, Jalen. Who himself, by the way, probably won't have a ton of value on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, he's just not going to get any shots. So that's a problem there. Utah beat Indiana 123-117. All good things here also. Uh, Colin Sexton, 18 points, 6 assists, 2 steals. He shot the ball better. He's a go. Kelly Olenek, who we told you guys to add as soon as he started to ramp up after his injury. He's he's just rolling these days. 18-10-2, 4 threes, a steal on great percentages. Uh, if you look at the season numbers for Olenek, they're going to not really tell the story on him because he had these really nice runs. And then he had the long run coming back from injury, and he had like the four games where he was in foul trouble. If Obviously, you can't dodge the foul trouble games, but you could dodge the injury games. And if you pull those out, he's a top 85 play on the year. That's very much a guy you need to be starting. As far as Taylor Horton Tucker goes, that's the one I'm seeing a lot of questions about on uh, social media these days. 7.7 assists. We talked about it yesterday that his role has increased and he's running point a bunch for Utah. He is... The inclination would be to say he's similar to what we just said about Devontae Graham, but he has a very different fantasy game. Hart, Taylor Horton Tucker doesn't hit threes. Both of his percentages are kind of bad. Field goal will be better than Devontae's, but free throw is going to be quite a bit worse. And that's one of the things that Graham does that that floats him, is that his steals are pretty good, his threes are very high, and he's also a chucker, which for fantasy is a good thing. For reality, you know, doesn't make a team all that much better. But for THT, kind of running point here, I'm not adding him in Roto. I don't think that there's enough of a secure job plus stat set together to use on a games cap format. Head-to-head, specialist appeal, basically assists, and generally he'll get you a couple of defensive stats. And then points league is the is the direction that I would lean more. You have a lot of these young guys that are coming into the into prominence now after the trade deadline that don't have good percentages. So yes, there are more guys right now that are popping up on the points league radar than the category league one. Just the way, you know, the ebb and the flow of things. The category league guys were Williams, Collins, and Sexton, and then some other ones that are sort of popping up here and there. We'll get to Thibault in a minute. Meanwhile, for the Indiana Pacers, they finally let Isaiah Jackson play a little bit. He got 26 minutes, and he was sweet. I know he missed some free throws here, but four blocks. He had three of them in the first quarter alone. Yeah, Miles Turner was out. So, no, you're not adding until they effectively say we're letting the young guys run, but it was cool still to see that, you know, Isaiah still got it in the tank. Knicks beat the Nets 124-106. Josh Hart, 28 minutes off the bench in this one. He's just going to keep playing more and more and more because Tibbs loves him. He was a plus 25. Uh, Quentin Grimes was a minus 3. R.J. Barrett got hurt, although not badly. 
Um, it, to me, it just feels like a matter of moments until Hart is starting over Grimes, but effectively, it doesn't matter right now. Honeymoon ended quickly in Brooklyn, didn't it? They're going to struggle to score. Simple as that. They don't have anyone with superior gravity. Spencer Dinwiddie is the closest thing they got, but if he's not on-on, then they're just... Who's going to do it? Who's going to create? They don't have any other creators. I'm still starting Dinwiddie. I'm starting Bridges. I'm starting Cam Johnson. I'm starting Nick Claxton, but you can see how things might start to come unraveled a little bit. Of course, it might mean that they need to play Ben Simmons more. I don't think you need to hold on to him to find out. I think you can drop him. I think, frankly, I think you can drop everybody else on Brooklyn besides those four guys. And that includes Dorian Finney-Smith, who is going to play a glue guy role. Uh, but again, like he needs somebody to create gravity for him to be wide open. Nikola Jokic still playing basketball with the easy mode setting. That dude is crazy, man. He is the MVP. I know they're going to probably give it to someone else, but Jokic is the MVP. That dude is unbelievable. Did you know, I saw this stat yesterday, and I couldn't believe it. Did you know that Nikola Jokic has only shot under 50% from the field this year? It, listen, we're breaking this down by game. On the season, obviously, you can look at the numbers and go, oh my god. Dude shooting 63% from the field on the year. But forget that. He's only had one game this season where he shot under 50% from the field. One. Maybe that'll be the trivia question. Ah, eh, you guys could just look it up. It was Utah, October 28th. You know, he's just rounding into form. Remember when Jokic was like the number six player in fantasy for the first month of the season? Yeah, that didn't stick. He's number one now, and there really isn't anybody close. Again. Again. Wow. That's so amazing. That's such an unbelievable stat. Under 50% one game this year. And he's not like he's just in there dunking every day. What an, what an incredible feat. He is, of course, uh, to no one's surprise, the largest positive impact field goal percent player in the NBA. Um, ahead of Zion, who who knows when we'll see him again. And then Nick Claxton and Jared Allen and Rudy Gobert. I mean, these are the guys that are behind him. The guys who only dunk. Jokic is crazy, man. I continue to feel like he is, like he's playing basketball like it's a video game and he's just set it on like, let me win mode. It's so wild. Anyway, uh, Vlatko Kanchar had another decent ball game filling in for Aaron Gordon. I don't have the stones to play him. I do have the stones to play Bruce Brown. Uh, it feels like they'll just rest Jamal Murray through the all-star break. He keeps, he's a, he was a game time decision that he ended up sitting out this one. Uh, I think Denver has one more game before the break. I have to admit, I didn't look to see if they have another one. But if they do, I don't know why they would rush Murray back. Not that it's a rush at this point, but they have a five-game lead over the Grizzlies in the West. The Nuggets are 40-18, and second-best record in the NBA. There's just no reason to play Jamal if they don't desperately need to, and they don't desperately need to. So, anywho, that should give you another good game of Bruce Brown before the All-Star break. On the Miami side... No Tyler Hero. We knew Kyle Lowry was out through the break because his knee is is 
fully you-know-whatted. So that meant Gabe Vincent was a pretty easy stream to play, and he was decent. Fouled out, actually. Gabe did in 34 minutes. He might have even done more. Uh, Max Struess was the other choice that I had on my streamer board. I didn't play Struess, and he had a good ball game, but, you know, whatever. Like, we knew he was he had a good chance to it. Uh, Jamari Bouya. Is that Bouye? I admit I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I would say Bouya because it's more fun. Uh, but Jamari had a decent fill-in game here. I'm not adding him. Caleb Martin was another guy that I was looking at, like, could he, couldn't he? Not enough usage. Too much too much reliance on all the 3 and D coming together. I think if these are the same guys that are out of the next ball game, you still stream Vincent. And then Struess again is your kind of coin flippy... Do we play him? If you need threes, you probably do. You can't rely on Struess to get seven boards and four assists in his next fill-in game. You're just looking for three or more three-pointers from him. And then anything else would be uh, a little side bonus. Jonathan Isaac played 13 minutes. Um, I think they're going to try to play him in the back-to-back, -back, which is really interesting. And that's why the minutes were likely lower, because he got up to 14 in the previous one. He'll probably go you know, 12 or 13 again in the next one. This has been the world's slowest ramp up. I mean, I said even once he got back, I thought it would take him three or four weeks to get up to 20 minutes. I Even I didn't think it was going to be this slow. And I thought I was being extremely conservative in my estimates. But yeah, maybe they try to get him up to 20 minutes out of the break. It feels like that would be a pretty good leap, though. What do we do with Jonathan Isaac? Uh, Roto, you can keep stashing him like he's injured, you know, because once he gets to 20 minutes, he would be worth using. Head-to-head, um, -head, no. And frankly, he's probably just more of a, you know, keeper league, if you can keep him at a cheap price for next year kind of guy. Because I maybe we squeeze out, like, the last two-ish weeks, three weeks of the season of startable level Jonathan Isaac. But even that, to me, is sort of up in the air. Otherwise, um, no big news here out of the Orlando side. I think Mo Wagner profiles as kind of an interesting schedule stream at the very least. Chicago, they look bad these days. Boy, the Bulls <sighs> should have blown it up. They're the 11 seed. They've lost four in a row. The sky is falling. DeMar DeRozan got hurt here, injured a hip. I don't know. We'll see if he plays in the next one. We saw last time that when one of the big studs was out, it was actually Alex Caruso that took a giant leap forward, but he was actually hurt for this ballgame too. So you may have to play this one by ear a little bit on the Chicago side. New Orleans hanging on to beat Oklahoma City. This one was interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Brandon Ingram is on a serious scoring tear these days, so uh, thank goodness he's back for fantasy teams. But Josh Richardson in his first game with the Pels, this is the first or second? Maybe this is the second one. Uh, 10 points, 2 boards, 3 assists, 5 steals, 2 blocks. He had fans in attendance. Um, or he had family and friends in attendance, I should say. Y yeah, I mean, you can't expect that this is going to happen every night. I'm not adding Josh Richardson. At the very least, you can toss him on a watch list. I'm holding on Herb Jones. He had some foul issues early. Just sort of didn't have it going, but he floats his value with steals. Hold on Trey Murphy, who didn't shoot the ball well. We knew the, the opposite side of the coin was coming at some point for him, but he had a steal in three blocks. Larry Nance, JV, those guys both probably belong on waiver wires right now. I know this is kind of a hot take, but Jonas Valanciunas, uh, he's more of like a 130 to 150 range guy when Nance and Brandon Ingram are both healthy. 
There was OCJ McCollum here. I think he'll probably be back for the next one or at the very worst right after the All-Star break. So if you wanted to stream Jose Alvarado, I wouldn't totally stop you, but it's not a great look. And Jose, you know, you'll get a couple of assists. You'll usually get a steal or two, maybe. It's a low upside stream. But again, like on the JV front, I'm, I'm pivoting back here. I just don't see a path for him inside the top 100 as long as this team is mostly healthy. Roto, you could spot play him if Ingram is sitting on a back-to-back -back or something, or if we find out Nance like has a sore whatever, then you do it. But I don't like head to head. I don't know how you toss him out there every ball game right now. It's fine if you want to hang on. I get it. He's a big name. But this is why we were super low on JV this year, because there were just too many guys squeezing him for minutes and opportunity. Jeremiah Robinson Earl came back for the Thunder, played 18 minutes, didn't have an impact really on almost anything. Kenrich Williams, uh, Jay Lynn Williams saw fewer minutes, but he wasn't an ad anyway. He was a watch list guy. You can probably bump him off of that. Now, uh, Kenrich, uh, you know, decent ball game here, but he's no more than a schedule play. And then I think Robinson Earl probably does ramp up as he gets his legs underneath him. And we'll see if that changes anything. But for now, no. Minnesota beat Dallas 124-121. Slow-mo is on a minutes limit right now. I don't know if all of you guys saw that news as it flashed by yesterday. It was sort of like under-the-radar stuff with slow-mo. Um... I don't know if the... I think they're going up. I think his minutes are going to trend back up. This is all to keep his back as healthy as possible, but he's so critical to what they do. He actually was in the lineups that were losing yesterday's ball game. It's just a weird... Like, I'm looking at this game, and it's just all sorts of weird. Here, let's, let's forget the reality side. Look at it from a fantasy standpoint. Kyle Anderson belongs on fantasy teams. If he's healthy, he's an absolute start in all formats. There you go. Easy peasy. But what I am worried about is, are they going to rest him? Are they going to keep his minutes checked at 24 for a while? I want to see them get back up into the high 20s, low 30s, because then he can really slam dunk on people. But, you know, we'll take what we can get, I suppose. Mike Conley, 12 points, 9 assists. He settled in quick, didn't he? All's well. Christian Wood back up into the 20s in minutes for Dallas. That's a good sign. I didn't think he was going to stay at 18 forever. What I, I, I am worried about with Wood is, as Maxi Klebo works his way back, does it really cap him out? Because they're they liking what Dwight Powell's done on defense lately. They have options. Wood was better in this ballgame for what the Mavs were trying to do than Powell was, but Powell was better in the previous one, or you know whatever they were sorting through there. And I think this just means that Woods' minutes are going to bounce around a little bit. He's not a drop. Far from it. I got some questions about whether they should drop Christian Wood after a couple of low-minute ball games. No, he's absolutely not a drop. But he is not the mega-hot Christian Wood we saw for, you know, three weeks in January. You guys all call me nuts when I tell you guys certain dudes are sell high. It's not that I'm mean. It's not that I don't like certain players. It's that we've seen this type of stuff before. Anyway. Also of note, uh, Josh Green, who we talked about a little bit during the pre-show on YouTube. Six points, four boards, four assists, and a steal. He's a hold, but I, I need you guys to understand that he's not a big upside fantasy play. Okay? He's a hold because he's playing massive minutes 
And just being out there for that long means you're going to fall into three or four rebounds a game. And you're going to fall into two or three assists. And you're going to fall into a steal. And when you combine that with some good shooting games and some bad shooting games, he profiles as someone that probably hangs out right near the edge of the top 100. You're going to find yourself having the same discussions about Josh Green that you've had about Jaden McDaniels all season long, which is, can I wait out the slow ones to get to the better ones? Like, Jaden was good yesterday, had one of his better games in a while, but these are guys that are going to bounce between 90 and 120, and back and forth they go, good game they go up, bad game they go down, head-to-head, they are holds. You're not going to find someone that gets that type of opportunity other places, and you'll have worse guys on your team, frankly, that you can turn into streaming slots. Roto, I won't know when to deploy them. High-scoring games, maybe? You know, you deploy them against really bad defenses, maybe. But even that doesn't always work out. But Josh Green is a hold in most formats because he's playing freaking full starters minutes right now. Almost no other reason. And then Portland, I mean, this is an absurd shooting display. Blazers hit 23 three-pointers, 17 of them in the first half. And everybody hit them from everywhere. Dame hit eight. Sharp hit three, Thibel hit four, Nas Little hit three, Trendon Watford hit two. The Lakers were leaving certain players open beyond the three-point line. They were giving them a kind of the Russell Westbrook treatment and just daring dudes to shoot, and every single one of them made the shots, which is, I mean, okay, you know, sometimes the strategy just doesn't work. Maybe it's not the greatest strategy on earth. Like, they left Trendon Watford wide open. He is shooting 49% from three this year, uh, but that's on .8 tries per ball game. He really just doesn't shoot them very often, and then he was like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to step into this. And then Thibault, I believe, tied his career high with four three-pointers. Which brings us to Matisse, by the way, who, uh, I mean, look, dude is a career 33%er from downtown. He's not awful from three. He's not great but he's not awful. He's an ad. To me, he's the news in this ballgame. Oh, by the way, before we come back to Thibel, I want to run through the quick, the quick things here. Uh, Malik Beasley, six three-pointers. Four of those came in garbage time. Okay? He only hit two when the game was competitive. He's going to be a three-point streamer probably the rest of the way, but it's not going to be more than that. Same story for Jared Vanderbilt. Six points, six boards, three assists, two steals. He was actually really bad in this game. Tried to do some weird stuff on his own. It, like, didn't fit great. I think he'll actually have a better role with the Lakers when LeBron does come back because of how they can build the team differently. Uh, but in this one, it, it just didn't work. Um, so there were no obvious ads on the Lakers' side. I think you're going to end up seeing the Lakers with a lot of drops. LeBron, AD, and and uh, D'Lo, are, to me, are the only Lakers that are going to end up on rosters at the end of all of this stuff. But we should talk Matisse Thibel because he is the most talked about player uh, across the fantasy space overnight, and for good reason. 14 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, a steal, 3 blocks, and 4 three-pointers. Understand that Matisse Thibel hit 5 out of 9 shots in yesterday's ballgame. Do you know the last time Matisse Thibel took 9 shots in a game? Not this year. It wasn't this year. 
Uh, this dude does not like to be involved on offense. He averaged two and a half shots with the Sixers this year. And last year when he was playing closer to almost starters level minutes, he only took four and a half shots per game. But what he did do in 25 and a half minutes per game last year with Philly was put up 2.8 defensive stats, 1.7 steals, 1.1 blocks. That is the appeal of Matisse Thibault, who I believe with Portland can play 25 to 30 minutes per ball game. He's not a points league ad because steals and blocks aren't worth enough in points leagues to float him. He is, in my estimation, a really intriguing specialist, especially this time of year. Your head-to-head league, if you need a steals and blocks bounce, he's the kind of guy that could actually put you over an opponent in possibly two categories in a given week. Like, there are times that when Thibault uh, played full starters minutes last year that he could rack up like 10 steals and 10 blocks in a week. He might get zero for two games after that because, you know, law of averages and, and so forth. But he belongs on rosters, I think. Even if you want to sit on him for a game or two on the Roto side just to kind of see what they're going to do with him when Jeremy Grant comes back or, or whatever. Uh, but to me, the upside in the defensive stats is so absurdly high that you kind of have to do it. You kind of have to. And the Warriors beat the Wizards 135-126. This game, I always have to make a regular Nintendo Wizards and Warriors reference. If I don't, I would feel like I've let you all down. Daniel Gafford, 28 minutes again. Still no Kyle Kuzma, though. I don't know what Gafford and Avdia are going to look like when Kuzma returns. I like the upside with Gafford more because big man stats are just sort of easier to pile up where Avdia is going to need to do all the across-the-board stuff, so he really does need the minutes more than Gafford does. But it's possible they both fall off when Kuzma returns. Uh, Kendrick Nunn played 29 minutes yesterday. I don't, I'm don't. i not doing anything with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, hold on to Gafford for now and hold on to Avdia for now, but understand that it might come to an end. I have higher hopes for Gafford than I do for Avdia in terms of who might have fantasy value the rest of this season. But I'm also a pragmatic fellow, and it's possible that neither one of them does. Uh, Clay Thompson might play on the second half of the back-to-back we're hearing, which is really interesting because he's been a top 50 guy after a slow start, and this takes a lot of the down stuff out of Clay if he's suddenly not playing in back-to-back. The Warriors need him. They're one game over 500. They're the nine seed. Uh, so they have no margin for error, and Steph is out for a couple more weeks, so you can kind of understand why they're doing it, I would think. What does it mean for Dante DiVincenzo? Uh, he played 25 minutes yesterday at a really nice fantasy line, 17 points, 3 assists, 2 steals, 5 three-pointers, 9 shots, I mean, he made most of them, and that's, to me, the fear with Dante. This was hot, Dante. Jordan Poole wasn't very good, so other guys got to do more stuff. Andrew Wiggins had a bigger ball game. Clay got 21 shots. Is there enough daily for Dante DiVincenzo to be a Roto Games cap play? I think you can play him on head-to-head because, again, you, you, know, you balance it out. He's probably going to be somewhere between 80 and 130 on every given week. And if you get him in like a three or, or a four-game week, that'll play on head-to-head. You think about everything kind of in terms of How does it play over a week? What I'll also say is on the head-to-head side, if they don't have a great schedule coming up, he's a guy you probably could move on from. Does that make him a schedule stream? I think he's a little bit above that, where like you could ride through a a scheduling 
part that maybe isn't perfect, but isn't terrible. Like a three-game week, it would still almost play, but you kind of ride out the three-game week to get back to the four-game week, where a true schedule stream-level guy is someone you wouldn't even ride out a three-game week to get to a four-game week. You just want them for, you know, three games in four days, and then gone. For Dante, if they had like seven games over two weeks, I would probably play it. Roto, I don't think I have, I don't think I would do it. You guys know me. If I'm on the fence on the Roto games cap side, then I'm just, I'm not going to play them. All right, nightly preview time. What's coming up tonight? Tonight. Boston at Milwaukee. Do I have anything to watch here? Uh, Bobby Portis participated in some parts of practice for Milwaukee. I don't think he's playing in this ballgame. It was three-on-three, three, so he's not even at five-on-five five yet. Uh, he's the guy to watch to see what happens when he comes back. Does his job get squeezed a bit by Jay Crowder? Maybe would be my guess. Um... Probably worth a stash at this point in case he does get back to that kind of 90 range stuff he was doing. And then we also know Portis is a huge winner anytime they sit Giannis. The Bucks are 39-17. and They're two games up on the Sixers. They've won 10 games in a row. At some point, Giannis is going to get a breather here, and that would be kind of the Portis day. Uh, let's see. What do we got else going on in the card coming up tonight? Orlando, oh, we just found out Jonathan Isaac is out, so not that anybody really cared. Uh, oh, Boston has everybody on the injured list right now. I skipped right over them. Jason Tatum, I, I believe, is doubtful with a flu. Uh, Jalen Brown is still out. Marcus Smart is still out. Robert Williams is questionable. Grant Williams is questionable. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, I believe, is back. Brogdon, Derek White, Al Horford should pretty good, should go pretty big if all those guys sit, if Time Lord plays, he'll go pretty large. If Grant Williams plays, he's probably worth a look in this one also. And then Peyton Pritchard probably gets to do a little bit, depending on if anybody else sits as well. Boston is ripe for what we're calling the fantasy one-night stand right now. Toronto. I am interested in Gary Trent Jr. If he plays, does he knock Precious Achua out of the starting five, or does he knock Jakob Pertle out of the starting five, or neither? Pirtle's a start, by the way. He would have played probably close to 30 minutes if he didn't foul out in their last ballgame. And uh, he looks invigorated to be playing for a team where stuff matters. Sacramento, nothing. Phoenix, TJ Warren makes his debut. I, you know, that the only question there is, who does that take from? And hopefully we get Kevin Durant on the other side of the All-Star break. I desperately need him in my 30-deep team. Washington. They're on the back-to-back -back here. Uh, we'll see if anybody rests. We'll see if Kuzma plays on the back. This is really, by the way, this is a really hard back-to-back. -back. Flying from Golden State to Portland. This is a brutal one. Wizards are not going to have a whole lot in the tank, but we'll see if they can hang in there for a bit. Portland is also on the back-to-back. -back. I'm happy that we get to see, especially if Kuzma plays, we'll get some data points on Gafford and Avdia there if Kuzma plays. For Portland, we're going to get another data point on Matisse Thybul. Yes, it's likely to be a data point without still Jeremy Grant, but I don't know. It just feels like Thibault is going to grab that small forward spot that was vacated by Josh Hart because he's better than Cam Reddish, and he probably fits better what Portland needs to do, which is stop somebody every once in a while. The Warriors on the back-to-back. -back. Again, it sounds like Klay Thompson might play, but I'm interested in Dante DiVincenzo. And then for the Clippers, we're going to get the Eric Gordon and Mason Plumlee debuts. 
And we'll find out if that means that Ivica Zubats is a drop now. And that is your Tuesday show. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Again, if you're listening over on the recorded side, come play with us on YouTube for one of our upcoming live shows. If you are with us here on YouTube, uh, stay tuned post-show for the question and answer session. Once again, I'm Dan Bespris at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I am actually demanding that someone watching on YouTube or listening take a second right now and go find me on social media. I spend entirely too much time on Twitter, but it's mostly to just get you guys information as fast as humanly possible, so I really do hope to see you over there. And again, it's at Dan Bespris on social media. At Ethos Fantasy BK, the best damn fantasy news feed on planet Earth. We want to get him to 10,000 followers before this season is done. Can we do it? Only you can tell, or you can help, certainly. Have a wonderful Tuesday, everybody. Back at you again tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll try to get that show going at about 9 o'clock. Give or take a few minutes. So long. So long.